You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Welcome again to Thrive. It's good to have you here on our second week of this series called Shift, as we are making some pretty radical shifts in our lives from before to after or from one mentality and outlook to another. Last week, we looked at the shift from a mentality that we are slaves to the shift of being the children of God and what that means in our lives and how the freedom that we have in that. So in the book of Acts, Paul, um, towards the end of his public ministries, before he's entering a time where he gets placed in prison here and there to the point in Rome, In Acts chapter 20, he knows this is the last time he is going to be speaking with the leadership at a church in Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. And he speaks a word to them that is profound, and he shares a word, a sentence that Jesus taught that I think is a profound one for today. It's from Acts chapter 20. And he says, and you can see it here in this light blue, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And though that's not recorded anywhere in the four Gospels, Paul knows it is a word through, um, you know, from one apostle to the other, to one disciple to the other, that they heard from Jesus and Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's a fundamental change I've seen in our society Maybe at one time we used to believe it was more blessed to give than to receive. I'm not sure if we did. But today we've reversed it. Over the course of my life, most people think it's much more blessed to receive than to give. And if I can't get it, I'll take it. And I'll get as much as I want. We have fallen into what I would say is a consumer mindset. It's all about me and what I can accumulate and what I can hold on to and how I experience it and what joys there are in that. Now, I'll tell, at the same time, though, the consumer mindset is rampant through our society. Most people want to consider themselves givers. That is, I give. I'm a very giving person. But they give after they have taken a lot. And they only give out of their surplus. They only give out of excess. And so they still have a consumer mindset. I can only give when I've gotten a lot. And when I give, it doesn't really affect me deeply. It's just an excess. A few dollars here, a little time there, and I get to live the way I want and experience all I want. Now in this series called Shift, we're going to see that that consumer mindset's got to go. And I think that consumer mindset is behind a lot of the tensions we have in our society right now, including some of the racial relationships uh, that we have in our society. And so we're going to look at this shift from being a consumer to a steward when we read through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. This is what Paul says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that in all things, having all that you need, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We've got some fundamental work to do today on this 
shift. Because I think too many people are convinced really life's about consumption. It's what I get out of it, then what I can contribute. So we're going to look um, at these three points today from this passage, the contrast, the struggle, and what that shift looks like. Now, why do I say that we need a fundamental change? Because, um, well, 20 years ago, when I was a pastor out in California in a medium-sized congregation, we were working through all sorts of uh, budget constraints at different times. And um, I was really emphasizing to one of the members of our church who happened to actually be the president of the congregation at the time. He was the leader of the congregation overseeing kind of all aspects of it alongside of me. We were partnering together in that ministry. And I was bringing up how we needed to reach out to this community and do more things in this community and how we got to serve this community. And um, the community of Visalia, California at the time uh, was very diverse. There were 100,000 people that lived in the town, but there were 70 different languages spoken in the homes of those people. So we were dealing with one of the more diverse communities in America, and we were trying to reach out to different people. But when I was talking about this, the president stopped me in a meeting in front of other leaders and said, time out, pastor, but wait a minute, what about us? Shouldn't the church really be for its members first and foremost of all? We need to get our needs met first before we talk about anyone else. And um, you know how talkative I am. You know how loquacious I am. I was stunned. I, my jaw just dropped, and I, couldn't, I didn't even know what to say to that because I couldn't believe how bluntly consumerist, what about me, this conversation had turned. This was from one of my leaders. He understood the church to be more like a country club in which the members who came and contributed this, that, or the other thing were considered first and foremost of all what we were doing for ourselves. And then we thought about he didn't see that the church was there as God's instruments in this world to serve God's purposes, not our own. The consumer mindset is not something that we can just look outside of the church and see in the world. It's actually in the Christian church. And sometimes it's hard to tell who has a consumer mindset and who has the mindset of a steward. So we're going to look at this contrast first and foremost of all. Because this contrast is extremely important. And it's very difficult sometimes to tell. There is not like a set standard of you can look at and say, okay, well, this person gave this amount, so he must be a steward. And this person gave that amount, and so he must be a consumer. She is a steward, and he is a consumer by their actions, their behaviors, their outward works, what they do, what they give. No, it's much deeper than that and a little more subtle. So Paul says, first of all, consumers and stewards, as I would use the difference, both of them sow. He said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously or abund abundantly, bountifully, will also reap bountifully. So both consumers and stewards give. Some give, like stewards, out of their excess, a little. Consumers often have the mindset that life is a zero-sum game, that it's a real competition for resources. 
and there is a scarcity involved. And I've got to hold on to the majority of what I've got and only give out of my excess, but to give in such a way that really doesn't change me or my lifestyle at all. It's not sacrificial, it's easy. And that's basically what Madison Avenue and Hollywood and Washington and Wall Street are all telling you. Be a consumer. Give a little. And feel good about yourself for the little that you give. Stephen Matson puts it this way. Consumerism drives us toward a selfish lifestyle of safety, control, and privilege. And I believe that's the underlying reason why we, some of the tensions have finally erupted across this country and what is behind some of the racism and injustices that we have seen is this consumer mentality that I'm going to take care of myself first and not really concern myself with whatever you're going through. It's really about my safety, my comfort, and my privilege. I'm going to control that as much as I can. So consumers do give, but they give out of surplus. Consumers sow sparingly. Stewards, on the other hand, Paul would say, sow generously. And you might say, wait a minute. Um, I looked at that text from 2 Corinthians. That word steward doesn't come up there at all. Why are you, John, what, what's that, why do you use that word at all? Well, because Jesus did. Jesus often shared parables about what it means to be a steward. He used the word for steward or manager. See, a steward in these parables often that Jesus told were those managers of a household of a wealthy person, a master, who owned vast sums of wealth, and he would entrust that wealth to his stewards. And stewards were those who then managed that property, never owned it themselves, but managed it for the sake of the master when the master was away. Or the ma they represented the master in contracts. They represented the master here and there and everywhere. They did not manage the material, the property, the treasures, the money that the master had for their own gain or according to their own will or desires. They, they always said, okay, how would the master want me to invest? How would the master want me to use? How would the master want me to? That's how a steward worked. The master set the rules. The steward just followed. And the New Testament will say that God, as well as the whole Bible, is the creator and the owner of everything. We own nothing. The steward owns nothing. He just manages what is entrusted to him. We are managers who are entrusted by God, great in a variety of gifts. So let's just contrast a little more so you understand the difference between a consumer and a steward. So consumers believe that they own things, that what you've got at your house, what you've got here, what you can purchase, this is mine, and I can control and do what I want with it. But stewards understand they own nothing. They manage only the things that they have, that they've been trusted by God. These are all his gifts and at his disposal. Consumers believe they earn what they have. I've worked hard for it. It's mine. But stewards know that even the hard work that they've been given is a result of the gifts of God, of gifts of intelligence, gifts of ability, gifts of place in society. Nothing I have, even the hard work I do is a gift from God. 
That's what a steward understands. Consumers gain security from the things that they own and possess and collect. But stewards gain their security from knowing that they are owned by someone else, that God owns me and all that I have. That's where my security comes from. Consumers try to control things. Stewards just manage, knowing God is the one that's really in control of it all. Consumers make deals, try to bargain, try to find what's to advantage, how they can get better. But stewards give and receive freely, no strings attached, just as God himself gives, because they're following his example. Consumers focus on their own personal rights and what they should gain. Stewards focus on their opportunities and what they can give and how they can make a difference in this world. Now, you can't just tell a consumer from a steward by, like, their checkbook or by their credit card statement or by how much they give. In fact, it's amazing. It's not a matter of actions or balance sheets. It's a matter of the heart. Paul puts it this way here in 2 Corinthians. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's a matter of the heart, and that cannot necessarily be legislated. And Paul doesn't even command the Corinthian Christians who were well off, by the way. He doesn't command them and say, you've got to set aside this much and you've got to make a decision on this and this is what you should do. This is the basic standard that you should follow. He doesn't set down rules for them to follow because he knows what that would mean. The real contrast between consumer and steward is the matter of the heart. The best stewards in the Bible, actually, were some of the poorest people. But they still had a generosity about them, and they considered everything they had as God's. And Paul gives the example here to the Corinthians who were well off. The best example he could give is the Macedonian Christians who were poor, who, out of their need, they didn't have an abundance themselves, and yet they begged Paul to give. They wanted to give for famine relief in Jerusalem and for its environs because they had heard about the need and they gave. And this is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected. Can you imagine? Here, Paul goes to Macedonia, Philippi, in that area around Philippi, to those Christians, and he looks at their lives and goes like, wow, you know. And he probably said to himself, I'm not going to ask them to help. And they heard about the situation. He didn't tell them. He didn't invite them to. They heard about the situation back in Jerusalem, and they begged him. They went beyond his expectations. He didn't even expect this. He didn't think they were in the shape to do it, and yet they, would, they begged him. They asked him. They made sure that they were a part of it. That's what shocked him the most of all. And then he explains why. How is it out of their poverty they could well up in such generosity? And he says this, but they themselves first gave themselves to the Lord and then by us to the will of God. The Macedonians learned what Jesus had done for them. By God's grace, he had given to them freely salvation, forgiveness of sins, life. He gave them everything on the cross that he became absolutely devastatingly poor and emptied himself of everything. 
in order for them to have everything in this world. So whatever they have is from God. And they were so overwhelmed by God's grace, they gave themselves to Jesus and then to the work of the ministry. And they even begged Paul to get involved. So if you hear people asking, well, how much do I have to give? You know they're still in a consumer mindset because they haven't given themselves first to the Lord. If you have to wait and say, well, you know, I'm going to give after we've met all of, and after all of this is taken care of first, then you're still in a consumer mindset. You're not a steward. When you give yourself first to God, and then you realize everything you have is his, then you can start contributing in such a way that goes beyond a percentage beyond what may seem reasonable in some circumstances. And you're managing everything that God has for you, for your family's sake and for the world's sake and for the kingdom's sake. That's the contrast. It's subtle. It's difficult to pinpoint. I'm not going to judge one person as a consumer, another as a steward, but it's something for you to consider. What's your motivation? Where is this coming from? What are the questions you're asking? Are you looking out how, how are you making decisions? So that's the contrast. And it comes also with a struggle. Okay? It's going to be a short point, but it's an honest one. When I look at the Macedonians and out of their poverty, they welled up in such great generosity. I look at my heart and I go like, I don't have a heart like they do. That's the struggle. My heart is not like theirs. My heart is much more self-centered, much more consumer-focused, much more, uh, and, and I'll ask questions and either jump from legalism to, you know, um, self-interest, you know, in trying to get people to give. So I could try to motivate you to be a giver, to be a steward, based on guilting you right now and telling you, you got to do this. If you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you'll do this, and if you don't do this, well then blah, 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 blah. But then you're only doing it out of motivation. That is, I want to get rid of this guilt so I feel good about myself. That's not being a steward. That's still being a consumer. You're looking to get something from the situation. And I think that's also why the New Testament doesn't set up like the tithe, 10%, as the standard you've got to reach. And if you reach it, then you're good. In fact, Jesus, in the New Testament, he talks about the tithe, but he actually condemns the people who are keeping the tithe. They were the Pharisees. They were strictly tithing everything they could think of. But the problem with that was it wasn't enough. He said, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So just trying to meet a certain standard, a 10% standard, oh, I'm a giver, is not enough. If you do it for the wrong motivation, it really doesn't matter what you give. If you're doing it to just gain honor or respect or the applause of others, then it's just being a consumer in another form. If you give because you want God to reward you, if you give because you think God will bless you more, then you're still a consumer. 
So I could try to guilt you into giving, or I could try to bribe you into it. And that's what basically the prosperity gospel does. It's just a way to bribe you saying, you know, this is God's formula. You give 10 and you'll get 1,000 back in return. And I could use some formula like that. And pastors and ministries around the country have gotten rich quick over using those kind of formulas. And all they are doing is appealing to your consumer mindset in the first place. Not to the new creation and not to being a steward of God's mysteries and God's bounty in your life. What we really need is a change of heart. And that's the struggle. To call you, to call myself into the beauty and joy of giving and being stewards of all and creating a change of heart, not through force and not through, you know, bribery. Well, how does that shift take place? And I think there are going to be three subpoints to this that'll tell us what that shift really is like and how it will take place. And the first is to realize that the gift that Jesus is himself. Do you realize Jesus is a gift? He didn't need to come. He didn't have to come. He, he chose to come. That the, Timothy Keller puts it this way. Jesus Christ was the only human being who wasn't just born, but given. And you go like, well, what, what does he mean by that? For me to be who I am, I had to be born. I was not before my conception and then my birth. I didn't exist. But Jesus the Son of the Father, has existed from all eternity in all beauty and glory and joy and love. He's always been. For him to be born was a gift itself to enter into this world. That's why Isaiah in the famous prophecy about what the Messiah would be like says, for to us a child is born and unto us a son is given. But not only that, he was given into this world to show us what this world could be like and how to live and how to love and how to serve. That is true, but Jesus was also the gift that gave up, that was given up and given over to death. As Paul states in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you realize and Paul would say it in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, Jesus became poor so that he could make you rich. And we're not talking monetarily, just to have an abundant life. He became sin so that you would become righteous. He was cursed so that you would be blessed. He lost everything to give it all to you. When you receive Jesus Christ as the gift... Every other gift comes. And you give yourself away to the one who has given everything to have you. That's the change of heart that has to take place. And only that change will really change you at your core rather than just change the outward behaviors. And then you realize that even being a giver, being a steward is a gift itself. It's not something you got to do and you better do, but something you get to do. That what you can do for others is such a beauty and a joy and a gift. As James puts it, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
So being a steward is actually a joyful, joyous, wonderful life. It's a gift that I get to. There's going to be no significant spiritual growth in your life if you don't change your mindset about your money and your possessions and your property and your place and your position. You only will grow into everything God wants you when you shift from consumer to steward. These words of Martin Luther King Jr. are so apt today, and I think it's something that I would pray that all Americans hear. He said, every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. Consumerism fits along with racism and the injustices and the competitions and the hoarding and the wanting and the me first and all that that's going on in this world. That's one way to go. That's the darkness of destructive selfishness. The creative altruism is what we as the church need to be called forth into right now. We need not to fight fire with fire, but to fight fire with the water of the love of God to make a huge difference in this world by what we do for the sake of others, how we humbly listen and care and love and understand. And then we start to realize as well that we stewards, those who are called by God, who are given all that we have, even our bodies, my own life is not my own, it's God's, that we become a gift to this world. And I don't think in an arrogant sense, because I don't get to decide how the world looks at me as a gift. I get to just give myself out into this world. Uh, Martin Luther, whom Martin Luther King Jr. was named after, by the way, the great reformer 500 years ago, um, he said, God regularly does everything through the ministry of human beings. Isn't that great? God uses you. You are his tool in this world. You are his gift to this world to make a difference. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy. Now, uh, Stephen Matson puts it well. Being a Christian is a brave and immensely sacrificial endeavor. The Christian life following Jesus is amazing, wonderful, and fulfilling, but it's also hard and painful and demanding. Maybe this is why it's much easier to act like a consumer instead of like a Christian. God help us. And God does help us. Now, you've probably heard that uh, popular phrase a while ago. You know, what would Jesus do? WWJD. You know, I think that's a couple decades ago. It was really popular on bracelets and everything else. I don't know if that's the best question because really the question is, what, would, what is Jesus doing? Jesus Christ is active and alive and well right now. And he is using you as a gift in this world to do what he's always wanted to do. And what does Jesus want to do in this world? He's always wanted, and he is mending broken hearts and forgiving people and welcoming outcasts and reconciling races and healing communities and having the good news preached to the poor and having lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into new creations. And he is doing that work through you and through me, and we need that more than ever before. That is what God always intends and what he wants to see and what his 
kingdom advances and your giving, your stewardship of all that you are is so different from the consumption that the world is in. And when you give to a Christian ministry like this one or others, you're letting God work through you. When you feed your family at home and, and serve your neighbor, when you welcome people to your table, when you reconcile with others, when you reach out, when you take risks, you're basically God's tool in this world. And when you get out of your comfort zone, you're not out of God's comfort zone. He is totally wanting to be involved in this world and in places that only he can send you and me because he has no one else who will go there freely and willingly and humbly and in service. From the beginning of God's creation, he created us in his image to represent him in this world. We've always been stewards. But from the beginning, Adam and Eve grabbed and wanted to consume and center everything on themselves. And Jesus now has shown us the way of giving and the way of service completely. That's what it means to be made in the image of God and to be recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, his son. So tell me, how would the world see or image God from the way that you've spoken, the way that you act, the way that you are? Would they see a God who's stingy or generous? Would they understand a God to be uh, bridge building and peacemaking or divisive? Would they understand God to be um, loving or judgmental? Would they understand God to be reconciling? Or would they understand a God to be alienating? Martin Luther, again, the reformer 500 years ago, said about the freedom of the Christian, and it is in the freedom. This is a heart change that we're talking about. It is not something I can legislate. I can describe it, but I cannot prescribe it to you. And Martin Luther said this about the Christian life. He said, as our heavenly father has in Christ freely come to our aid, we also ought to freely help our neighbor through our body and its work. And each one should become, as it were, a Christ to the other, that we may be Christ's to one another. And Christ may be the same in all and that is that we may be truly Christians. We conclude, therefore, that a Christian lives not in himself. That would be a consumer. But, a Christ, but in Christ and his neighbor, that's a steward. Otherwise, he's not a Christian. I think you know it instinctively. Life is so much more full and wonderful and great when you serve and love and give and make a difference in this world. The consumer life is so shallow and actually pointless. It's so below what God has called you to be, and it's so below what our church has been called to be, and it's so below what we can be in this society right now when we need it most. Our world needs more than ever stewards who see all that they have is basically just managing what God already owns the way God intended to be used in this world. It's a true shift from consumption and con being a consumer into being a steward. Let's pray. Lord God, we lift up to you, Lord, um, numerous needs 
We've already lifted up to our community and our world right now that needs your healing presence. Lord, you know your church needs to rise up and, well, we ask that you would encourage us and fill us with the love of your spirit to reach beyond what we are comfortable to serve in ways that will display your goodness to this world right now. Help us be peacemakers and reconcilers and bridge builders and unifiers, Lord God. We pray that you would move us from consumer to steward, that all of life is a gift, Lord God, that you would see us in that light. Lord, we lift up to you um, people and their needs. We ask your healing to be upon Andy Blankenship. As she's undergone another round of immunotherapy, Lord, we ask you to alleviate the pain and to show your beauty in that situation. We lift up to you, O Lord, Sarah and Nikki. We pray, O Lord God, that you give them peace, that you give them your peace that passes all human understanding. Let them cast anxiety upon you, their burdens upon you. All that they have is yours, Lord, and you are, they are yours as well, Lord. And Sarah, that she would understand what it means to be a child of God. We lift up to you a prayer of thanks that Kathy Bulow's uh, son is on his way home from Afghanistan, that he's made it here, Lord, safely. We pray, Lord, as they mourn, um, in that family, the death of a loved one, as Rusty has passed away from cancer, that you would give them comfort in the midst of their grief. Lord, you know, these are t uh, trying times and difficult times and confusing times. And, oh, Lord, you know, all of everyone sharing their opinion and some people may think I'm just sharing my opinions today. We need to hear from you, Lord, in your word your truth above all others, because anything else is just a lie. But your word is true. What you've done through Jesus is fully true. And we need it to be lived out now more than ever. Teach us to follow your truth, even when it is difficult and people may not be happy with us, Lord, to speak your truth into situations and call, um, call forth your truth where it is needed, Lord God. Teach us to not be just interested in our own needs, but be truly interested in the needs of others. I um, ask, Lord God, that um, you would be working throughout this world to bring healing. Lord, um, we pray for our first responders, for our police officers, and all others who are trying to bring peace into situations and to quell the violence, protect them care for them. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who are seeking justice, that you would also give to them wisdom in the best way forward, and that justice and reconciliation and mercy can come together. Lord, we pray for the healthcare workers and others who are still in the midst of this, even though it's been kind of sidelined in the news that we're still dealing with the coronavirus, Lord God, and people are still getting sick and people are still facing big difficulties there. We lift up and ask for their protection. We lift up to you, Lord, 
all, those all the businesses and individuals who have lost employment and are wondering where, how things are working out, Lord, we pray that you would um, truly be the provider of all of our needs, that you would help us in the way forward to wisely open and to start, Lord God, the long process of coming closer to you. But we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't go back to a normal that we've had before, but to a better day where you are much more involved in the decisions of our lives, that we understand our utter dependence on you and the joy that we have in you. And that your church would not just try to get back to what it was, but to become more what you want it to be. Lord, the good news we have is that even no matter what we pray for, your Holy Spirit can pray for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches hearts will do such. And so we just offer ourselves to you this day, as the Macedonians did before. We give ourselves to you. And Lord, we pray the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.